Well, how are you doing today? You guys, you got, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. You're not really there, right? <laughs> this is one of those weekends I always have such like um, mixed ambivalent feelings about because, uh, and, and so it's just such an important time, right? This is the last weekend of the year, which means it's the first kind of we're preparing for the new year. And so it's an incredibly important uh, season, incredibly important message as we prepare to launch into 2015. But the, the hard part is that I know you guys are always going to be sort of hungover from Christmas, right? So you're like, like next year, it's really next year? Yes, it's next year. It's like this week is next year. And, and so you're still recovering from the turkey and all the gifts and all the emotion. And a lot of you are we're, we're, we're like seven or eight pounds overweight now because we're at the end of the month. And some of us are more, some of us less, but that's the average. And so... Uh, so anyway, uh, but what I want to say, I've got a verse from our next series for you today, right? As we get started from Ephesians, and here's my verse for you today, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> That's why we're here. We're here to meet with him, and incredibly important day as we get ready for our new year. And so I want to call you to attention, call you to the alert, shake off the sluggishness of the week. We want to be on the edge of our seats, ready to go. Amen? All right, so okay, so now we're going to be going to our time of teaching. It's, uh, if you're brand new, my name is Mike, I'm one of the pastors. Uh, there's a green and white uh, note sheet inside your program we use every week, so you'll definitely want to take that out. And then if you guys are ready to go, or even if you're not, I'm going to jump in, all right? Let's go. Father, we thank you so much for this, uh, this important weekend as we sit on the, the verge, the edge of a brand new year. And God, we definitely want to get everything that you have for us out of this new year. We want to be ready to run. We want to hit it strong. And so, Lord, as we prepare for this week and kind of New Year's and, and the start of the new season, uh, we pray that today you would come and be our teacher, you'd speak and lead, and as we wrap up this series, you prepare us for the future with what we talk about today. We pray in your name, amen. Well, today we uh, are continuing actually wrapping up this series that we've been in the last three months, three or four months, called the Genesis Chronicles, and we're in the third, uh, kind of third sub-series of that overall series. This third series is called Rebellion and Redemption. And for those of you who are brand new, this is a series on the opening three chapters of the book of Genesis, which are three of the most important chapters in all the Bible. And one of the things I've said all through this series is that when you come to the opening chapters of the Bible, the opening chapters of Genesis, it's much like the start of an epic tale, an epic novel, where an author is introducing kind of the, the scene, uh, the, the place, the time, the setting, uh, the main characters who are going to play a big part, big role in this story. And then also uh, kind of introducing the plot line, the conflict that's going to drive this story all the way through and not be resolved until the final chapters of the novel. And the Bible is very much like that. The opening chapters of Genesis is very much like that. The story that's being unleashed here in the first three chapters is not going to be resolved until the final chapters of the book of Revelation, which is what we're going to see today. So what we've seen in this third and final series is that God is this amazing, incredible God who creates out of his love, creates his first couple to rule and reign over this creation for them. But they buy into the enemy's lie, they rebel, and so they begin to experience death at every level. Now up to this point in this third series, we've talked about death, we've really talked about sort of a spiritual psychological, uh, relational death. We've talked about death in our relationship with God. We've talked about death in relationship with ourselves, kind of a moral, psychological death. We've talked about death in our relationships with others. We saw how they, they began to fall apart immediately when they rebelled against God. Uh, but one thing we haven't talked about is the most obvious thing, and that's physical death. 
And so what we're going to see today is we're going to see that one of the results of our rebellion is the breaking up of our bodies, the, the dissolution of our bodies, not designed to be. Uh, and we're also going to see that a curse comes on all of creation, that since we were the first king and queen, when we rebelled against uh, our creator, that there is a curse that comes over our whole realm, which is kind of all of creation. And so what we're going to see today is we want to see how this story unfolds, a story that's unleashed in the opening chapters of Genesis of the first Adam the, and the, the entrance uh, of death in the world and the curse over all creation. We want to kind of trace that story through to the very end of this epic novel where we see the resurrection from the dead, from the second Adam, and the recreation of the heavens and the earth at the end of the story. And so if you have your Bibles, let's jump in at chapter 3. If you've got your apps, let's go ahead and turn them, them on. There's a section there on your note sheet called the Genesis Chronicles. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the rebellion. And in chapter 3, we're going to pick it up at verse 17. And we're going to run through this kind of rapidly because we've done this a couple times before. But I just want to point out a couple new things that have set us up for today. And so in chapter 3 and verse 17, someone else wants the floor. <laughs> All right. Got a phone talking. It's like Siri's over here. I'm like, Siri, what should I say? Uh, All right. All right, so uh, verse 17. So to Adam, he says, God says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you must not eat it, cursed is the ground because of you. So I want you to catch this. This creation we watched unfold in Genesis Chronicles chapter one, that we were created to live under the blessing of God. Like God creates this incredible place, gives it to us as a gift. This is your home. Uh, I've designed it all for you. And I think it was three times in chapter one, we're told that God blessed his creation. We're designed to live under the, creation, under the blessing of God. But here we see, once we rebel, that blessing is removed, and all of creation comes under a curse. And so this is today why the world at large is the way it is. It's why we have tsunamis and earthquakes. It's why there's birth defects and diseases. We live in a fallen world. The world has come under this curse. And so he says, cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And so we've talked about this before, this kind of this epic judgment that comes upon a race. Curse, the creation is cursed, but now our lives uh, come under this judgment of death. And so we've talked about this before, but remember, the word for man is Adam, Adam. That's the word in Hebrew for man. The word for ground is Adamah. And so the Adam was created from the Adamah. The man was created from the dirt. He was created from the ground. He was created to rule over the ground. But due to the rebellion, he will now wrestle with the ground all of his life. We know what that's like, to wrestle to make a living. We're going to wrestle with the ground all of our lives, and in the end, the ground wins because we're going to end up six feet under ground. And once we're under the ground and the ground has won, our bodies are going to disintegrate and we're going to turn back into dirt. And what I want you to catch from this is this is not normal. This is not natural. This is not part of the design. Like, we've become accustomed to this. 
In fact, in our culture today, you'll often hear people say that death is just part of what? Life. We'll talk about the circle of life. Like death is part of the circle of life. But what I want you to say is death was not the circle of life. Death was an aberration. We are not designed to grow old. We are not designed to fall apart. You know, our bodies are not designed to fall apart. I remember um, uh, several years ago, uh, when I was at the previous church, it's many years ago now, um, that uh, one Thanksgiving that uh, some of the younger guys on our staff said, hey, Mike, would you come out and play uh, play football with us on Thanksgiving. Thir- you know, we have tradition every th- and, it, and every year I had to say no because we were always away at Julian camping or, or in, a, in a cabin Thanksgiving. And, but this year the cabin had burned down. And so, so now I was free. And so they said, hey, <laughs> hey, now that you can't go away, uh, would you come and play football? And let's tackle football, right? So the guys asking me are like young 30s, right? So I, I'm like 45 at the time. I'm in the young 30s, and I'm thinking, like, I could probably hang with them. Yeah, I think I'm good with this. And so I said, sure. And it's, it's, did I mention it's tackle football, right? So, so when I show up, all these 20, young 20-somethings are there, like all these studs, right? And so um, I'm telling you, I had a blast. It was just, I hadn't had that much fun in years. And uh, I am playing uh, quarterback, hadn't thrown a ball in years, but, you know, whatever. And, uh, and we just seen you just hitting people and smashing into people. It was just so much fun, just, Giving thanks, you know. Um, it's like, great hit, thank God, you know. And, uh, and so it's just, I just had a blast. The next day, I am so sore. I literally cannot sit up in bed. And this is no, no lie, no exaggeration. For the next seven days, I had to roll out of bed. I would roll out and land on all fours, and then I could push myself up. I could not sit up. But, and so after about a week, I heal, and I think I'm good, except the shoulder, you know, the throwing shoulder. Again, this is kind of sore. I kept getting sore and sore. But after two or three months, I go to the doctor, and he says, yeah, you've got frozen shoulder. I said, that doesn't even sound real. Like, shouldn't there be a Latin for this or something? You know, like, frozentium, you know, shoulderendium, you know, something like that, you know. He goes, no, no. I said, well, what is it? He says, what happened is that you hadn't thrown a ball in so long, you threw it so much that day that you had all these micro tears in your muscles. And because you didn't get therapy right away, they just, all these micro tears got micro scars. And that's why your arm doesn't move, you know, because it's like, it's, it's like stuck together. So what do we do, doc? Well, we go in and we like scrape out all the scars. Awesome, right? Okay, so this, this is not how we're designed, right? Like this, this is not, like our bodies fall apart now, right? Like how many of you wish you had a new body? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're under 30, all right? <laughs> this whole thing with death and disease and, and kind of falling apart, it's just like horrible, Right? And it's not what it was designed to be. And so uh, death enters the human race. It's not natural. And let me say it this way. Hey, as we go into 2015, I don't know what you think your greatest problem in life is. But whatever you think is your greatest problem, it is not your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is that someday you're going to die. And unless you have a solution to that problem... Nothing else really matters, right? 
And so right here at the beginning of time, we see as a result of rebellion, death enters the human race. And so he goes on then, and let's skip to verse 22. And so the Lord said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And we've talked about that before. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the what? Tree of life. Okay, that's great. 14 of you. From what? Tree of life. You can't take from the tree of life. So catch this. We were not designed to die. We're not designed to decay there was going to be a way of, we might call it conditional immortality, all right? There was a, a way that God was going to provide continuous. We wouldn't be, we'd just like be forever young, right? Like a song, all right? So, um, so anyway, uh, he says, that's not going to happen anymore. And he says, uh, take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden and to work the ground which had been taken, which is now cursed, and after he drove the man out, he placed him on the east side, catch that, the east side of the Garden of Eden, and he placed cherubim, which are like uh, type of angelic beings. Cherub is singular, cherubim. Whenever you say im in Hebrew, it's always plural. Cherubim, and uh, a flaming sword, flashing bath and forth, to guard the way to the tree of life. And so, and so we, we see this really sad story, right? This story of this incredible God who's brilliant and powerful and creative and and beautiful, and generous, and good. He creates us out of love, gives us everything we need to thrive. We rebel against him, experience death at every level, but the end result is death. And and in the meantime, we're going to go out, and we're going to wrestle with creation until the dirt wins. And I want you to catch how depressing this story is. Uh, Remember, if you're Adam, if you're Eve, if you're their children, like, this is all you know. There's no promise. Do you see any promise of resurrection here? Do you see any promise of next life here? Like, if you stop and think about it, when you read the Old Testament, there is very little about the next life. Very little. A couple hints here and there about resurrection, but very little about that. If you're living at this time, when this account is being written, the time of Moses, he's writing this, like, when you die, you go to a place of the dead. They call it Sheol. Good dead go there, bad dead go there. It's just where you go, the place of the dead. Very mysterious. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. So this is how our story starts. It starts with this rebellion, and then it, it, that leads to death, and it leads to a curse. The question is, how does the story end? Where does the story go from here? Now, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Before we do that, I want to do just a, a quick sidebar, just for fun, because it's kind of fun. Um, it's really interesting here. Remember, when Moses is writing Genesis, uh, he's writing in the wilderness, right? Kind of a cursed land, a barren land. He's writing in the wilderness with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel come out of Egypt. They are in the wilderness. And one of the first things God says to them is, I want you to, I want to dwell with you. I want to live with you. So you all live in tents. I want you to build a special tent. We're going to call it the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It's a place I'm going to dwell. I'm going to meet with you. I want it right in the center of the nation. So three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west. I'm going to live right in the middle. And so they, they build this, you know, this very special tent to meet with God. And when they, when they build the tabernacle, you would approach it from the east. All right? So in other words, when you're going to the tabernacle, the tabernacle would be to your west, you'd approach from the east. You'd approach the presence of God from the east. Are you following this? 
Now, if you are a priest or whatever, and you're going inside the tabernacle, once you get inside the tent, guess what it's full of? It is full of cherubim. Cherubim are embroidered everywhere, and the curtains and so on. You go into the Holy of Holies, where the high priest would go, over the Ark of the Covenant, what do you find? Cherubim. Over the, the cherubim signal the presence of God. So you enter from the east toward the west into the presence of God. And so when Moses is writing this, they all know this. And so now as the Genesis story unfolds, what happens when they rebel against God? They are driven away from the presence of God out of the eastern side of the garden, away from the presence, guarded there by cherubim who guard the presence of God. You see what's happening here? And so a really interesting kind of sidelight, many scholars believe that there, there's these, the, that many scholars believe, let's put it this way, that the Garden of Eden was the first temple. That the first temple on earth was the Garden of Eden. Out of this whole creation, there's the temple. It's the place you met with God. And then this is where we got driven from, the presence. And the story of the Bible is how do we get back to the presence of God? How do we restore so that's how the story starts. It starts with rebellion. It starts with death. It starts with the curse over creation. The story is how does it unfolds. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time we have today, I want to do a Bible study together. And for those of you who are brand new, it's a little different than we normally do it. It's kind of like we did last week, really, but that was kind of unusual too. But it's a little different. But what we're going to do is what I want to do is kind of think of this like this epic novel that we're reading, the Bible. And I want to just like flip through to some of the, op- some of the, the chapters that come in the future. Some of the chapters, as we take this storyline of the death of the first Adam and the, the, uh, the curse over the first creation, and we watch as this story unfolds through the resurrection of the second Adam and the recreation of the heavens and the earth. Okay, so we're going we're to go, go through several passages of Scripture kind of rapidly. We're going to go through about 10, maybe 11. Uh, but I just want, to, I want you to watch as this story unfolds, as we watch it from beginning to end. All right, so there in your note sheet... You have a section called the Genesis Chronicles, the Redemption. And the first passage is in Romans chapter 5. And these first couple, I'm going to take a longer on. The others will go faster. But Rome, the, the, the letter of the Romans, uh, in the letter of the Romans, Apostle Paul is laying out kind of the grand scheme of our spiritual history as a race. So it starts with creation, goes to rebellion, then to redemption, and then to restoration. And so when he gets to chapter 5, Paul says, you know, the story of our race can really be summarized as the story of two men. And he said that the first one is Adam and the second one is Christ. Christ is like the second Adam. And so to help you understand what he's saying, I want you to think of a very famous Old Testament story, the story of David and Goliath. You remember how that story goes that uh, Goliath comes out, the big giant comes out, and he challenges Israel basically to a duel. And he says, uh, hey, why don't you send one of your top warriors out, and, and I'll fight him, and I'll represent the Philistines, and he'll represent uh, the Jews, Israel, and whoever wins will win with the war. Okay, so there's kind of this represent, rep, representational war that's going to go on. You, you follow me? Uh, David kind of represents Israel. Goliath represents, uh, represents the Philistines. And whoever wins, kind of the, the results of their conflict is going to win this thing. And so... Uh, this is very much kind of similar to what Paul is saying. He says, the history of our race is a story of two men, two warriors. The, the first one was Adam. And he said, when Adam rebelled against our creator, he was not just acting for himself, he was acting as the head of our race. 
He was like the, the first king. He was a king of our race. And so all the consequences that come to Adam come to us as the whole race because he's representing us. You, you follow that? It's kind of that idea. And so, so Adam rebels. Adam comes with the sentence of death. We all come under the sentence of death because he was our leader and he rebelled. And we were kind of like in Adam. We were all connected with Adam, right? Um, of course, beyond that, because we're connected in Adam, we're all born with Adam's fallen nature. We all have this natural propensity to be drawn to the dark side. And so all in our lives, we all rebel against God on our own too. But we're kind of like twice judged, so to speak. We're, we're under the sentence of death because we're part of Adam's race and he represented us. We're also under the sentence of death because we've all rebelled individually, right? So the, the, you start off with the story of the first Adam. He says, but what happened is, is that there's a second Adam that came. And this is why God became man. This is why God entered the human race. This is why a son of Eve was born, to crush the serpent's head. That a second, we needed an, another representative from our race to represent us to start a new relationship. And so he says, because of the obedience of that man on the cross, he said, when we come to Christ, we can be connected to Christ now, not just connected to Adam, we can be connected to Christ, and so all the benefits of his life and death and resurrection, we get credit for. You see, just, just like we got credit for Adams, we get credit for Christ. Does that make sense? And so, so Adam led us into death. Jesus leads us into life. He's the second Adam. So let's, let's see what he says. He says, so sin entered the world through one man. So who's that man? Yeah, Adam, right. And death through sin. We just saw that, Genesis chapter 3. And this way, death came to all men because all sinned, both in the sense that we were part of Adam, he represented us, and also that we have all sinned ourselves. And so he says, just as the result of one trespass, one sin was condemnation to all men because of his rebellion, we're all condemned as a race. He says, so also the result of one act of righteousness, talking about Jesus and his obedience on the cross, it was justification that brings life for all men. And so this is the core of the gospel, right? His life for our life, that, that he represents a new race of people. And then we come to Jesus and we trust in him. We're placed in Christ and now all that he did, we get credit for that, just like with Adam, we got credit before. And so, so now we are justified or made right with God and can enter in this new relationship with God. And so, so what we're going to do here in these, like, these, we're going to look at 10 passages, maybe 11. Uh, and what we're going to do is I want you to think of them like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, all right? So with each piece, we're putting in a piece of a puzzle of this epic story the Bible is telling. And when we get done, we'll be able to see the whole thing, all right? So that's the first one. The two atoms. Now, Paul is going to build on this in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to a group of Christ followers who have come to Jesus from Greek culture. They live in a city of Corinth. It's a Greek seaport uh, in southern Greece. They've all been raised with Greek culture, so they think like Greeks. It's like when you came to Jesus, when I come to Jesus, we think like Americans, Right? And some of that's right and some of it's wrong. And so as we come to Jesus, uh, Jesus has to teach us to rethink life. And so it doesn't matter where you're coming from, you're going to have to rethink the culture you came from. And so in their Greek culture, Greeks believed in life after death. 
In fact, if you look at the history of the world, that almost everyone at all times has believed in life after death. There's something within us that tells us intuitively as a race, there has to be something more, right? And so, so pretty much almost all peoples at all time have believed in life after death in some form or another. Most have. And so Greeks believed in life after death, but catch it, they did not believe in the resurrection of the body. They believed in immortality of the soul, but not resurrection of the body. So, so in their worldview, when you die, you'd be released from your body, which they saw as a good thing, because the body causes lots of trouble. And so now you're going to live in the spirit realm for, for, for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, right? So these, these Christians had come to Jesus, they come out of that background, and they're trying to take the message of Jesus, and there were some of the teachers in Corinth who were beginning to kind of take some of their, their Greek culture and mix it in with their Christianity. So they're saying when, that when Jesus died, he died to make us right with God so we could be with God, but we're not going to get our bodies back. Who would want a body back? And the apostle Paul comes and says, are you crazy? This is why Jesus died, so we don't end up six feet under part of the dirt. And this is why he came. He came to restore us. We're created to be physical beings. And he came to reconnect our spirit and our bodies. And so the message of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, and then he rose from the dead. He got a new body, and that's like a prototype of all of our bodies that we're going to get when we, when we uh, you know, at the end of time. The new bodies are coming. So Jesus, like his body wasn't a one-off miracle just to say, whoa, cool, he must be God. You know, look what he did. No, no, his body was like the first of a harvest of bodies that's coming. In fact, that's the analogy that Paul uses. He said, you know, when you go to the store, like um, this last week, Lynn came home from Costco with a new box of oranges, right? Haven't seen it for a while. And I'm so excited because I think it means that orange season's back. Like, I'm not very good with my seasons, but when you, when, when you go to a grocery store and you see the first fruits of a new harvest, of the, you're excited, right? Because that means that more is coming. If the first strawberries, mean, hey, it's going to be strawberry season. You're going to pay more for them at first, but a lot more strawberries are coming. And that's the analogy that Paul says, hey, the resurrection of Jesus is like, is, he's like the first fruits of a whole new harvest of resurrection that's coming as he is, so we will be. We're all going to get a new body like his. We're not going to be old and decrepit and falling apart anymore. We're going to get this new kind of 2.0 version body that's amazing, right? And catch this. And what that tells us is that not only is the future real, but it's physically real. And the new creation that's coming is physical, it's not like clouds. It's not playing harps on clouds like Casper the ghost. It's like this like physical new heavens and new earth are coming, and the proof is in Jesus. So I want you to catch this. Before the coming of Jesus, like I said, we didn't know what the future held. Everyone had his theory. Greeks have their theories. Egyptians have their theories. Stoics have their theories. Right? Jews had their theories. But before the resurrection, we didn't know what the future held. And Paul says the resurrection of Jesus is a preview of coming attractions. That's what the future is. That Jesus is going to come back. Those who know him are going to get new bodies for a new creation. And, of course, this changes everything. It changes our view of life and the future and what's coming. 
And so he goes on, and so you'll see this, then a couple more passages we'll hit real quickly. Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of the Hebrews, he, said, he talks about why Jesus came, and he came to restore us and save us from death. And he says, since the children have flesh and blood, or says you and I, human beings, we have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, right, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Well, who holds the power of death? Well, Satan holds it. We gave him the power when we chose to follow him instead of the creator. And so he said he came back to take away those keys. Uh, he says that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. This is why Jesus came, to restore our bodies, right? To, to give us back our life, what we lost in Genesis 3 to give us back. The next verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, he's talking to new believers who have just come to Jesus, and they're concerned because some of their fellow Christ followers are now starting to die, and they're wondering, hey, you know, Jesus hasn't come back yet. What happens to them? Do they miss out on the resurrection? And he says, well, no, brothers. We, we don't want you to be ignorant about these, those who fall asleep or to grieve about those who uh, are like the rest of men. In other words, he says, uh, men who have no hope. He says, you know, before Jesus came, we didn't have this clear understanding. He said, I want you to be grieving. No, no. Jesus came, it doesn't matter whether you're dead or alive, when he returns, you'll be raised, you'll get the new body. In fact, in uh, 2 Timothy, this passage is not on your note sheet. This is the 11th one I was referring to. It. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul puts it this way, is that Jesus destroyed death, and catch this, he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, so before Jesus, we don't know. Now we know. We know, and this becomes our great hope, which doesn't mean like uh, I hope it happens. I'm not sure if it will, but but this becomes our great hope, uh, our guarantee. This is our future. We don't have it now, so we hope for it. But this future that God has now. Okay, so I want you, want you to catch this: that the first Adam leads us into death. The second Adam will lead us into resurrection. All right, that, that's the point. The second thing is that we saw in Genesis today that because of our rebellion, creation itself comes under a curse. But as the story unfolds, what we learn is why Jesus came is to, to turn back that curse so that the creation could be blessed again and recreated. And so you see this, for example, in the next passage in Romans chapter 8, where Paul is uh, he's talking about, you know, now that we've come to Christ, we've been made right with God, we've been forgiven, we have the gift of his Holy Spirit. He says, but, hey, we're still not done yet because we still have our broken mortal bodies that with, with their, kind of lead us into sin oftentimes. They're decaying. They're subject to pain. He said, I know a lot of you are being persecuted for following Jesus. And he said, I, I, it's painful. But he said, catch this, that this story is not done. This story is not done until two things happen. Until Jesus comes back, we get our new bodies. And until all of creation, the curse is removed and restored. So the story that begins in Genesis 3 is going to be end in when Jesus returns. And so this is how he puts it. He says, yet what we suffer now, and he's talking to Christ followers who are suffering persecution. He says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later, you know, when Jesus comes. For catch this, for all creation is waiting eagerly for what that future day when God will reveal who his real children are. In other words, right now we're being persecuted 
for following Jesus, what the world doesn't understand is we are actually sons and daughters of the king. And she says, and all creation cannot wait until that day when that gets revealed. Why? Because on that day, creation will be restored. And he says, against its will, like creation had nothing to do with this. You know, back in Genesis 3, creation didn't do anything wrong. It got cursed because of what we did as the rulers of creation. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. There it is. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay, whose fallen world is going to be restored. It says, for we all know that the creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Catch this. A couple weeks ago, I told you my, my daughter had a baby. And so I was reacquainted with the, the pain of childbirth. Now, fortunately, she took my advice, got the epidural. But there's other women who there who didn't have a father like me that were screaming. And, and you're, man, that is an intense pain, right? An intense pain. And Paul says he uses that pain to describe our current creation. So you might say, hey, Yosemite is beautiful. The Alps are beautiful. Uh, Malibu is beautiful. Yeah, it is, but it's a pale shadow of what it's intended to be. And he says, this current creation, it's, it's like writhing in pain of like childbirth longing to be restored to what it's supposed to be. And so he says, uh, it's longing, it's groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers, we also groan. We've come to Jesus. We've been forgiven, new life. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, but we still groan because even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste, think hors d'oeuvres, of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. This story has not been resolved. He said, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. So we've been adopted, but we don't have all the rights and privileges that come with it. And he says, including the new bodies he's promised to us. We were given this in the hope when we were saved. This is what we're, our future hope is all about. Now, okay, next passage. So when the, when, the, when the Bible talks about this new creation, this, this next life that's coming, this restoration of the cosmos, this healing of the cosmos, where the, the broken, fractured universe, the bones are reset, it often uses language like this. It talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And that comes from Isaiah in the Old Testament. In fact, there on your note sheet, Isaiah 65 says, Behold, I will create new heavens. Oh, yeah, i got to flip it over. I just go like ding, ding, you know. But, okay, so behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So God's predicting in the future, there'll come a time there'll be new heavens and new earth. Catch this, not just new heavens, but new heavens and a new what? Earth. Often when we picture the future, for whatever reason, we think clouds, we think ethereal spirits, we think uh, uh, funny-looking angels with harps. Uh, we, we think uh, images like that. You know on TV, like whenever they show the future, it's uh, like they show heaven. It always gets like real white in the background. And then everyone's just kind of floating around. Or, you know, it's like that's what we picture for whatever reason. But the Bible talks about a new heavens and a new earth. Concrete, physical, tangible, real. And so Isaiah talks about this. When you move in the New Testament, the New Testament authors pick up on this language. And so, for example, in 2 Peter, next passage, 
where Peter is talking about this new world is coming, he says, the heavens will disappear with a roar, our current heavens, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, theologians argue about this. This new world is coming. Is it completely the old cosmos is destroyed and then a new cosmos is created? Or is it like God kind of takes the old cosmos, kind of remodels it, strips it down to studs and rebuilds it? I tend to lean towards that view, but there are two different views. Anyway, he says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a what? New heaven and a new earth. Isaiah language, right? We're the home of righteousness, where, where evil and oppression and what's wrong is ruled out and everything is right the way it's supposed to be. And so this story that begins then with the death of the first Adam and the curse over creation, it's going to end with the resurrection of the second Adam, our resurrection, and the blessing of all the universe, the, the restoration. And it's interesting because when you come to the very last chapters in the Bible, and this is what I've been saying all the way through. You start the story of Genesis, you're going to end in Revelation. When you come to the very last chapters, in the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, the apostle John has a vision of the next life. It's highly symbolic, like all Revelation is. But in this vision, he sees a city coming down from heaven to earth. So notice it's not, uh, it's not going up to heaven. It's like, the city's coming out from heaven to earth. Uh, and he calls this city the new Jerusalem. And he takes two chapters to describe this new Jerusalem, this next life, highly symbolic language. And in these two chapters, I'm going to pull out just a few excerpts real quickly, just for the sake of time, to show how the story that begins in Genesis ends in Revelation. And so the first passage there is in chapter 21. And notice how it starts. This is going to describe this, this new city. He says, then I saw a new what? A new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah language. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, just like Isaiah said. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. And men and women, this is what I want you to catch. This has been God's vision from day one. How does the story start in Genesis? God creates incredible universe, and then he creates his first home for this first couple, beautiful nature preserve, and God meets with them there. He comes in the wind. Remember that? And, and, and so it's like a first temple. It's the place where they meet, that we are designed to live in the presence of God and dwell with God. And so the story of the Bible is how we lost that and how it's getting restored. And so what we see here is that they were kicked out of that first temple, away from the presence of the Lord. But now at the end of the story in Genesis, I mean, Revelation 21, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God's with men, and he will live with them. This has been the vision from day one. In fact, all through the prophets, one thing I didn't put here from chapter 21 is that he, that, that he will be their God and they will be his people. And this is a refrain that runs throughout the Old Testament over and over again. I will be your God. You will be my people. The visions never change. And now we're seeing it come to fruition. He'll wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne, said, I'm making everything 
new, new heavens, new earth, right? And so we go on and we learn more about this city. And the next verse, Revelation 22, the next chapter, last chapter in the Bible, no longer will there be any what? Curse. The story that starts with the curse ends with the removal of the curse. And then he goes on, and they will what? Reign forever. What have I said? The story that begins in chapter one, that we were created to rule. First king and queens ends with us ruling our, our destiny. You go to the very last verse there, Revelation 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes. And earlier in Revelation, John had used this language to describe those who had come out of a time of intense persecution where these Christ followers had given their life for Jesus. And he describes them as being washed in the blood of the Lamb, that they have been cleansed through the death of Christ. This is a symbolic way of talking about restored a relationship through the death of Christ. So he says, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the what? The tree of life. You see, there it is. We started with the tree, we end with the tree, and may go through the gates of the city. So here's what I want you to catch. This epic novel, the story that God is telling, that starts with the creation of the heavens and the earth, ends with the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. The story that starts with us created to rule over creation ends with us ruling over all creation. The story that starts with us meeting with God and dwelling with God in the Garden of Eden, the first temple, ends with us dwelling with God in the new Jerusalem. And the city that starts with the story of our rebellion and our being barred and driven from the tree of life ends with us being restored access to the tree of life. You see what I'm saying? This story that starts in Genesis is epic story. It's a story that's going to run all through the Bible. This story of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. And this is a story that you and I have been invited in. This is our story. This is a story that we're all part of. And when you come to Jesus, this is a story you wake up to and go, this is my story. This is the story of our race. This is what makes sense. This is why life never made sense. I didn't understand the story that I was playing a bigger part of. And in the next series, in Epic, it's going to get even more epic. Because what we're going to find out is that before time began, before the creation, there's a backstory to this story. And that before time began, before the creation of the world, God chose you to come to Christ. He chose you to be forgiven, adopted, rescued, filled with his spirit, and to be part of his epic plan to restore all of creation. And this is a series that we're going into next. But before we do this, as we come to the end of this series, I want to talk with you just briefly about what we've learned. I want to step back and do a quick review, big picture, where we've learned, and then ask you where you stand. Because this is a story, the story that we've, we've discovered in the Genesis Chronicles, the story we've been introduced to this amazing God who is brilliant, and he's powerful beyond measure, speaks worlds into existence. He's creative. He's personal. He's not some force. He is generous blesses us richly. He is beautiful. He creates this incredible creation, and he's completely good. And so we're introduced to this God that out of his great love creates us 
It creates this incredible home for us that we might have everything we need to live and thrive. Think of Jesus. I've come, you might have life, and life to the full. That was our story. And then because of our rebellion, we bought into the lie. And the lie is that God is not good, that God cannot be trusted. There are times in our life, if you want to reach life to the full, live life to the full, you have to break out and rebel and go on your own. That his commands are not protective, they are restrictive. And as a race, we bought into the lie. And as a result, we have experienced death at every level. And so the promise comes, this amazing deliverer who's come to give us back our life. But you know, the core spiritual issue of our lives always comes down to this, what do you believe about this God? Do you believe he's for you or do you believe he's against you? Do you believe that his ways lead to life or do you believe the heart of things that when life gets tough, when choices get tough, there are times where God's good for most times, but there are times when you have to strike out on your own. There's times when you have to, if you want to really experience life to the full, there are times. I mean, all the time, but there are times when you have to break away, do it your way, kind of a Frank Sinatra approach, right? I'm going to do it my way. And, and most of the time, God's way makes sense. I mean, most of the time, but but this is too hard, this is too a challenge, this doesn't make sense, so in this case, I think I'm going to break away. And the question I have for you, as we enter into a new year, we come to the end of this series, that enter in this new year, is what do you believe about this God that we've been introduced to? And what do you believe about this account that we've been given of the story of our race? And as we go into the new year, what I want to ask you is there any area of your life you're holding out on God? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your, uh, your finances. You know, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, but you think you can. Uh, maybe it's a relational issue. There's someone in your life you have hatred and bitterness for, and you know what Jesus said. If you don't forgive men's sins against you, then... Your heavenly Father won't forgive you. You know that. And yet you're, you're choosing to make an exception. You're choosing to believe the lie. There is sexual purity. You're paying fast and loose with that. God's calling you to a new ministry. And you've been resisting that call. He's calling you to walk on the water, to get out of the boat and trust him and come to him and trust him and use your gifts. And I know it's scary and it's hard. It's going to take time, but he's, he's calling. You've been resisting. There's that friend at work that he's been calling you to share Christ with, just share your story. The guy's asking questions. He's opened the door. And you're just afraid. You're afraid of what it caused, the repercussions at work, whatever the thing is. But as we go into 2015, I want to ask you, is there any area of your life you're holding out on your creator? You know, for every one of us, there comes to a point where we have to surrender absolutely to Jesus. I call it absolute surrender. And I don't mean that after that, that all life will be easy or that, you know, we'll always do things. I don't mean that. But there's a, there's a point where we, we kind of give him the keys to our kingdom. There's a point when we say, this, I belong to you. 
And what I'm asking you, is there any area of your life where you're holding out? The Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. Remember the dimmer switch principle we talked about? He's been speaking, he's been calling, but you've been turning away because you don't want to hear it. You've been resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you. I want to ask as your pastor, what is holding you up? What is it about this God you don't believe? Why do you continue to pursue death when he's offering you life? Like, what is it about you that won't trust him? And I want to be really clear here. This last week of the year, I'm not asking you to become morbidly introspective. In fact, that's the last thing I want. I don't want you to go, oh, there's got to be something wrong with me. Let me find some dirt, you know? Like, like, I'm not asking that. Because a lot of you are probably walking with Jesus well, and, and he's blessing you. And let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit has an area of your life he wants to change, he's going to show you. You have to dig for it. Right? You don't have to kind of make something up. And so you may be in great space right now. That's just awesome. All I'm asking as we go into that, is there something you know the Holy Spirit's talking to you about? Well, this today is the first time he's talking to you. For some of you, right now as I'm talking, there is something popping in your head right now. You know. Like he set you up for this. You've been so set up. Like he suckered you to church, right? You're, so, you're right there. And then I'm doing this thing, and the Holy Spirit's like, okay, this is, what, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Here it is. Boom. All right? For others of you, you've been resisting for a long time, and you can't understand why you're not growing or why life is so messed up, you're not being blessed, and you're just, you're not coming under his leadership. And so we're not looking to dig up something here. We're not looking for false guilt here. That's not what it's about. I'm just saying, is there something that's keeping you back from following your creator? And if so, why? What is it about him that would keep you from trusting him? Because what I know is whatever he's asking you to do, however hard it might seem, that he'll pay you back a hundredfold. That it will lead you to life. I, I know that, absolutely. And that's why Jesus said, hey, whatever you give up for the kingdom, you know, uh, father, brother, mother, whatever, you know, it's like you'll get paid back uh, in the next life and in this life a hundredfold. Right? And so he's come to give you life. Now, let me talk to those of you here that you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You've not given your life to him for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't know the story. Maybe you didn't know the offer. Maybe you have known, you've resisted. You've been coming here perhaps for a while. You like the teaching. It's real practical. It makes sense in life. You, you like the worship. It, it just kind of, it's a, hot, it's, a, it's a hot spot in your way. It's a good, like a, a high spot. It's just, uh, it's great. You know, you just like coming to church. It just makes you feel better, right? But all I want you to understand is that every one of our stories in this room is either a story of rebellion or it's a story of redemption. Everyone. And that until we come to be redeemed by Jesus, by the second Adam, until we've surrendered our life, received his gift of amnesty and forgiveness, until that happens, the front cover of our life says rebellion. We are sons and daughters of Adam. We've inherited his judgment. We've inherited his DNA. And we are under the sentence of death. And until we come out and come to Jesus, our second Adam that we are under that sentence of death. And so today, on this last weekend of the year, what a great time for you, if you've never given your life to Christ, 
to, to bow the knee, to surrender to him, to ask Jesus into your life, to fill you with his spirit, to live life that you're created to live, not just now, but for the next life, for that next world, new world that's coming. So let's bow our heads. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, in a couple minutes we're going to go into worship, but I just want to give you a chance here to reflect on your year. Is God speaking to you in some way? As my brother or sister in Christ, I want to just call you out, challenge you. Oh, man, just go for it. God, he's got plans for your life. I just want so desperately for you to run into your future in 2015. I want anything slowing you down, anything messing you up, anything keeping you from what God has for your life. And so whatever it is, will you trust him? Let me beg you, just please, would you just trust him and let it go and move into the life that he has for you. He just loves you passionately. Will you trust him? And then if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you want to be, you want to leave that life of rebellion, you want your story to be one of redemption, I, I want to invite you to give your life to Christ right here, right now. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And this expresses the desire of your heart. You just pray along with me in your mind or in your heart. Invite Christ in. You receive this gift of amnesty. Surrender your life to his leadership. Ask for the gift of his spirit and the gift of the next life that's coming. And so I'm going to pray now. Just pray along in your mind. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my rebellion. I pray you'd remove the sentence of death based on your life and death and resurrection for me. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and teach me how to follow you both in this life and the next. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer, I'd first like to welcome you to the kingdom as a new brother or sister in Christ. You've got an amazing journey in front of you. You've just started the journey of a lifetime and beyond. And, uh, and I would love to share that decision with you. And so I'd ask you to do me a favor that inside your program is a, a little card called the Connect Card. You can fill out the front and then on the back, just write me a note. You say, Mike, I prayed the prayer. Or I asked Jesus in my life. I'll know exactly what you mean. And then I can send you a, a, just a note, a letter this week of here's some next steps in your new relationship with God to get started in the right foot. And so God, we come now as your people on this last weekend of the year and we celebrate you this epic story of creation and fall and this daring rescue mission and the cost that you you paid as our king to come and die for us to rescue us from the sentence of death that we might be restored that you might love us forever or maybe we never plumb the depths of that you always show us deeper that love as we worship you as we worship you now as we bring you our offerings we pray that you use these to extend your kingdom that many would come to be redeemed And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and worship. This is amazing grace. It is unfailing love. And that's a story that we've been studying all fall, the study, a story of the Genesis Chronicles, a race that rebels, a God that will not relent, comes after, enters into the race, becomes a part of the race to rescue, suffer, to die body torn to, to rescue and redeem, all, not just us, but all of creation. And this is a story we're going to be going into in greater depth next week as we go to the backstory, the story behind the story, this epic vision that God has for all of creation and that we play a part of in a very personal and powerful way when we come to Christ. What we find out is when we come to Christ, we wake up, we discover that we've been chosen 
before time began, in a way that's mysterious, profound, we'll talk about that, but chosen before time began, not only to be forgiven, adopted, redeemed, rescued, filled with his spirit, but empowered to make a difference, to become part of this cosmic reclamation project. And this is our calling, and it gives life purpose, and it gives life meaning, and it's not sort of a superficial meaning, a hyped up artificial, it is truly epic, because it flows out of the and it's rooted in God himself. And so I hope you can join us every step of the way as we continue this journey we've been on this fall, taking it to the next level in Ephesians. I want to remind you that after the service, we always have prayer down here on the right if you need prayer for anything. But until next week, and as we move in this new year, may this be a year of great joy for you. May this be a year where you discover who Jesus is in new ways, how big, how bright, how beautiful, how compelling, how brilliant he is. You give your life to him, trust him fully, and as a result, you move into the future that God has for you unparalleled more than you ever had before. You run into the future with the wind of your spirit at your back, his wind in, in, the, in the sails of your life, carrying you to do destinations. May this be a year where your love for him grows, your passion for people expands, and you have a clear purpose sense of your purpose and calling and commission works created for you, as Ephesians will say, in advance before time began. Amen? Here's to the best year yet. See you next week. God bless.